Today, we talk to Janelle, whose company has sold more than a couple hundred million dollars on Amazon the last few years, and she's going to give us some of the strategies that she's used to achieve that. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Are you a six, seven, or eight-figure seller and want to network in a private mastermind group with other experienced sellers? Or maybe you want to take advantage of monthly advanced training sessions with Kevin King, an expert guest. Do you want to come to our quarterly in-person all-day trainings at Helium 10 headquarters? Or do you want the widest access to the Helium 10 set of tools? For all of these things, the Elite program might be for you. For more information on Helium 10 Elite, go to h10.me forward slash elite. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I'm your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon, Walmart world. And we've got a serious seller here. Uh, Janelle, how's it going? I'm awesome, Bradley. Good chatting with you today. You too. Where are you uh, located? I don't even know. I am in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Salt Lake. Uh, every time I hear Salt Lake, you know, I just, I'm like, hey, I need to go to the Red Iguana and get me some good Mexican food, some of the best Mexican food I've ever had there. Like, you, who'd have thought? Yep. In the middle of Utah is good Mexican food. I know. It's funny because everyone's like, you've got the, there's a blue iguana and there's a red iguana. And I'm always like, dude, I, I eat Cafe Rio. And so I don't know if you've ever eaten there, but it's one of my favorites. I've also hit up a really good Ethiopian food uh, restaurant there in Salt Lake. I forgot what it was called, but that's one of my favorite cuisines uh, anyways. But uh, I'll take you there next time I'm there. Okay, good. Because uh, I went to Ghana and my sister and I always laugh about how we didn't enjoy the food. So I don't know. I'll have to try. Oh, to Ethiopian eat. is amazing food. Okay, awesome. All right. Now, we're not here to talk about cuisine. Otherwise, I'll, I'll be off my diet by the end of this call because I'll get so hungry. So we're here to talk about serious strategies. But first, since I know very, very little about you other than I know you're an elite member and you are have done some pretty amazing things in this space, l l let's, let's just get a little bit of your origin story. So like, how did you get involved in e-commerce? Like, how far back does this uh, journey go? Yeah, okay. Well, let's see. We we'll probably need to start with uh, my foray into sports nutrition. I took a role like probably just doing content writing for this company called Progenics. And it was early in the CrossFit days. There was this new fitness craze called CrossFit. And this supplement company had sprung up and they were doing like sampling at, you know, the Arnold and some of these like fitness mm -hmm. competitions. And they decided, you know, we really should, we should go after the CrossFit market. And I was their content writer at the time. And I was just doing it freelance, but I ended up joining the team, long story short, and um, co-running the marketing department with a, a really talented marketer. And long story short is I helped them get on Amazon. And I also um, learned some amazing marketing tips. The guy who worked there as my co-marketing partner, he had started Billabong and sold it and then co-founded Hurley and sold that to Nike. So that was my uh, introduction to marketing. I, I feel like I got some really great brand development experience that most marketers probably don't get just this private tutelage from this, this gentleman. And anyhow, I ended up leaving and starting after several years, starting my own uh, marketing agency. And I was helping like doctors, lawyers, and dentists. And I play instruments. I've always played the drums and piano. And So we're talking like 2015? Yeah, 2014, 2015. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, man, I should, I should import drums. That would be so cool. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got into Amazon. I started importing musical instruments that led to 
um, my business partner at my agency, my regular agency was like, man, I've always wanted to be a manager of a toy store. And I laughed so hard because like you go from being a COO to a toy store manager. That was just funny to me. So I was like, we could start a toy line. So we started a toy line. And then I had so much experience from the supplement industry that I was like, oh my gosh, supplements. Like let's get into consumables because we were selling toys. We were selling drums. It's like kind of one-offs. And I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, the dream of everyone's like, how do you make this kind of a recurring revenue model? Oh, consumables, like supplements would be huge. So we started a weight loss um, shakes, Velo. And so, you know, over the years, as we developed these and we were doing well, I started noticing in my agency, I was talking more and more about e-commerce marketing and we got a lot of clients coming to us. And so I spun off and started a second agency called e-commerce wranglers, where we were helping a lot of Amazon sellers. And I was speaking a lot and just doing really, really well. And, and we sold some brands. That's kind of basically how I ended up here. And were you selling brands before it was like all the rage to yeah, sell brands before people were getting like four and five times multiple when we were getting yeah. like one and a half or two times multiple. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was when I sold. That's awesome. Huh? Were you manufacturing your supplements there in Utah? Yes. Here in Utah. What, what is it about Utah and supplement manufacturing. I swear I've worked for a few companies and they always made it there. It's so true. It's funny because I have siblings that are in the uh, supplement space as well. And they all either run a manufacturing plant or, you know, have started their own supplement company. So yeah, it's a Utah thing for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. All right. So, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw one of your bios somewhere. You've pretty much been responsible or you're responsible for, you know, over the last few years, well more than a hundred million dollars of sales on Amazon, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, that is so cool. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's a different. It's funny because I ran my own businesses for so long, my own brands on Amazon. And we're talking like, I think the toy line had the most SKUs. We were maybe at like 35 SKUs with, you know, some variations, some of the sure. products have variations. So going from that, you know, complexity, which I wouldn't even call complex to now managing over 4,000 SKUs is pretty intense. And it, it's a totally different game. I mean, well, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Let's talk about what are some of the main differences? Because, you know, the, I think a lot of people, I've seen other people, you know, do that kind of path. Like they started out on their own. Maybe they did, you know, 10, 15 SKUs. They actually, you know, exited maybe with an aggregator. And instead of re going into going back into, you know, making their own private label, I've known a couple of people who kind of took your path with it. They, they like started working for a, a larger company. So yeah. I'm just curious, like, what are some of those main differences of, of have, you know, running your own account with, you know, 30 SKUs as opposed to working for a bigger conglomeration, I guess, that has thousands of SKUs. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that. If you don't mind, I'll back up a minute and just tell sure. you how I ended up in this situation because I would have never thought I'd work for corporate world. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for so many years. I would think I'd never do that, but this is what happened. My business partner, he got diagnosed with a glioblastoma or however you say that brain cancer, like stage four was terrible. Um, and he, he died pretty quick, but he managed all the employees and I did not enjoy that part of the business. You know, we had at the time almost 25 employees. And when I realized, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to take over all this. And, and, and I hadn't like vocalized that it was just weight on my chest that I was, you know, sleeping, trying to sleep at night with, mm-hmm. I was approached by one of the largest nutraceutical companies um, in the world. And they were trying to hire my agency to take over their Amazon business. They were manufacturers. I guess they didn't have an Amazon business at the time, but they wanted to go direct to consumer. And this was back in 20, what, four years ago, would that have been 2017? Okay. And I was like, you know what? I was on the phone with these the gentleman that had called. I was being super nice, kind of just giving him free consult. And I just said, you know, you really ought to build this team in-house. I mean, you're, you're so massive that to outsource this, you'll just get far better results if you build build it in-house. And I was giving him um, that advice and 
finally, I didn't realize the CEO was actually on the line. And he, he at the end just said, well, what if we hired you and had you build our in-house team? And, you know, I immediately was like, no, I'm not interested, like not at all. And then I just, after I hung up, you know, and we hung up the phone, because, you know, it didn't end with that. He was pretty persistent. He was like, you know, well, I won't give you all the details, but basically I got off the phone and I just thought, and I thought, you know what, this could be kind of a nice change. I don't want to run these, I had at this time two agencies, three brands, um, and I just lost like my right-hand man. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And I was like, this could be a really, really cool opportunity. And I'd never worked in the corporate world. They had just been acquired by a private equity group. So they had a lot of funding, as you know, how that is, it can be a nice situation. And then there was a really nice offer that was put together. And I thought it'd be cool to work with the board and see how to scale. Like uh, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm all for learning something new. So I ended up, that's a long story short, I ended up there. And that's when it was like, Hey, we've got 70 brands, we've got 4,000 SKUs and help us. And yeah. a lot of a lot of the people that I had at my team at the agency wanted to come with me to build up the agency there, and I sold the the remaining parts of my Kickfire and e-commerce, and took over the people who wanted to come and those who needed to stay to help the other agency run, and that's how we ended up here. Now the complexities you can only imagine. Like I started from zero, and that, that part was easy. It's like we all know how to set up a Seller Central account, right? But imagine getting seventy brands brand registered and. Yeah trying to get ungated in all the different categories that took about a year of my life and, and banging my head against the wall because, you know, it was just when Amazon was more starting to crack down in the supplement space and the beauty. And so yep, yep. I can tell you that that, that part alone about made me want to gouge my eyes out with a spoon, but the complexities really for me, what's so complex is just ASINs going down. And when you're, especially in the consumables, anything that goes in your mouth, sellers who can relate or on your skin, if there's one complaint, the, the bots just flag an ASIN restrictions. You have to have someone full-time that's just completely on top of your ASINs, what's instructed, yeah. what's down. And um, I guess the nice thing about a big portfolio is you tend to have a little more diversification. If, if one ASIN goes down, well, if it's a hero ASIN, it is painful. It's not like you're out on the street for, because yeah, you yeah. all your income. I do think the hardest thing for me personally is managing the ad account. Um, there's just so much going on and in corporations too, they do budgeting. And so you get like given it, it's, it's so hard for me because when I ran my own company, I would be like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, put 18 to 20% back of top line into ad spend or whatever. I kind of had like a moving, um, budget that I would use uh-huh. and tie to top line sales. But in the corporate world, it's really hard. And I guess I shouldn't say corporate world. I don't have, I don't know how everybody does it, but at this company, we have a budget and we set it at the beginning and you kind of have to like stay in line with that. And that's just feels so like handicapping to me in a way. Like, yeah, I want something to be like dynamic or like, I feel like individual sellers, they can be more nimble than sometimes we are able to function just because of the layers of, you know, EBITDA and we have the P&Ls and we have, I guess it's how you run a real business, but it's very different than how I ran mine. I was more flexible. Sure. That makes sense. So like, um, you, know, you mentioned like all these different brands, are, are these all in one account or do they have mul- uh, multiple Amazon accounts? That's a good question. Um, so some are in the one P program, you know, so they're mm-hmm. vendor accounts. And then in the, our three P account, we have 29 brands running through there and Amazon preferred it that way. They didn't want me to set up like some of the brands, you know, they're distinct brands. They were like, no, just put it through one seller central account, which, you know, made me nervous at first because there'd been, you know, back in the days you'd hear stories about accounts getting shut down and it thought I'd rather have different accounts 
then if one got shut down, I'd have another one, but they know. And if one account goes down and you were selling uh, products in that account and you moved it over to another account, they'll shut that one down too. So that's, there was no benefit to having multiple accounts, you know, per Amazon. And I actually yeah. spoke with um, Andy Jassy. He's the new CEO, but at the time he wasn't, he was a good friend of our former CEO. And, you know, it was just knowing that I had that resource that, you know, on the dial of a phone that made me feel so much better because it's a lot of money and it's not when you're running a company's Amazon business and you're responsible for that much of income, I guess you don't want to screw it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, you mentioned something there that I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are curious about, um, you know, vendor, vendor central compared to, uh, to seller central and you are literally with the same company have some of each. Can you talk a little bit of about pros and cons of each? And like, if you had to do it over again, would you have done all in one? Would you have done it all in another? Would you keep the yeah. split that you have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You bet. You bet. Yeah. There, there are definitely pros and cons to both uh, programs as anyone who's been in either of them can tell you. Some of the things I love um, about 3P is the ability, and I don't know if Amazon really likes us talking about this, but the ability to kind of interact with the customer, right? You can, uh, you you get customer data on a 3P sale or that you don't get in 1P. So that's difficult. You can, you know, do promos and you can do, I guess they actually, let's talk about what happened this week, right? Like rebate key is no longer um, elite sellers. Like you, So I guess some of those things will be going away, but you didn't have that API type access um, in the back end for vendor that you do with 3P. And if, if, if all of this doesn't make sense to anyone, Bradley, you know what I'm talking about. Or mm-hmm. Yep, yep, um, absolutely. I think everyone's elite on this podcast. They might, they, this is probably common sense, but in, in the 1P program, you basically, you're selling your products to Amazon. They own the inventory and they sell it and you don't get any customer data. In fact, it's, it's sometimes a black box in there. You get some analytics, pretty, pretty much what you get in brand Black box, no no pun intended. Yeah, hey, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, yeah, that the thing that we find most difficult with 1P, if you have omni-channel, there gets to be issues with um, pricing. Anyone who's like selling in um, retail, even on walmart.com, when you sell that uh, inventory to Amazon, they will be the low price leader online. So if there's an offer anywhere else online that's cheaper, then they will lower the price. And then because that price, if they can't realize a profit, you probably heard the acronym crap or, you know, with the, the word crap, it means can't realize a profit. They'll restrict your ability to advertise. So I, my recommendation to companies, large and small, is if you're omnichannel and you don't have really good control over your distribution, you should not go 1P because you will have so much pricing issues. Your ads will get suppressed. You'll be ineligible for advertising. Amazon will come up, come back and renegotiate your costs. And costs is what the price that they buy the product from you and you'll continually see your margins deteriorate and they kind of have you by the throat. I like to say, because you have no power. Like you either accept their price decrease Mm -hmm. or you can't advertise. And imagine what happens if you have a hero skew that you can't advertise. You're going to slip off the first page, you know, in a couple days. So those are the the really difficult things that we experience here with the one P program. Um, we have spent a lot of time on marketplace management. That means having authorized reseller policies. And, you know, if you if you sell the distributors, you have to have anti-diversion agreements. And it gets very, very complex. When I just had my own brands and I was a single point of distribution, it was very easy to not worry about buy box. I never lost my buy box, you know. And you go omni-channel, and that becomes probably one of the most difficult things to manage. With comp- and that's, I guess, one of the things that I've experienced when you asked scaling into a large organization, you know, the ad management and the distribution and omni-channel dynamics. Now, now what, what about nowadays, you know, like before there's something called, you know, vendor express and this and that, but like, 
is it invitation only? Like how you know, like say I'm Joe Seller, I'm obviously selling on my own account. Like, you know, is there somewhere I can say, Hey, Amazon, I'm interested in one P or is it basically, I just got to wait for them to extend the invitation. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't, I can't say I know definitively, but in every case, um, they've come to us. They want, they yeah. want your, your products that they see profitable. They'll find you and, and ask you to join. And this changed, you know, just the last few years, you saw that there was more people on one P they basically got kicked out of the vendor program. They were told that they would no longer, I guess they could say uninvited. They were, they were told that they could sell three P and that's because vendor really, they need to be profitable. And in order to do that, they need to have high velocity items and that are in demand. So yeah, you won't be seeing, uh, I guess if you already have a relationship with a vendor manager, you'll get a vendor manager when you're in the vendor program. You can use that to like, we've had them take brands that I would say they would have never like invited just because they're interested in some of the other brands that we have 3P that we kind of use as a carrot to help get some of our brands that wouldn't have been invited to 1P into 1P. And why I say that is that sometimes one of the pros of a vendor program is there are products under like $8, I would say, sometimes I would say even 15 that you cannot make a, a profit on 3P. with After your FBA fees hmm. and all that, it's very difficult unless you're moving serious volume to be yeah. profitable. And those ones, if you can get vendor to take, and obviously they have a harder time being profitable, or things like glass and liquids, um, it, it'll be more profitable for you as a person to go vendor versus a 3P program. So those are the ones where we've leveraged the larger brands as maybe a carrot like, hey, you know, we're considering maybe bringing this brand 1P if you take this brand first. And we want to test it out. You know, you can kind of do some leveraging. Okay. Now with, with, with 1P, you have a lot less, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, like, I don't know, flexibility or control maybe over your own listings and, and what goes on. Like, are you able to just go in and, and change your images and, and bullet points and completely run your PPC campaigns? Or are there some things that Amazon is just trying to handle themselves on that? Yeah, kind of no, thing? no, you can control your entire listing. In fact, I would say recently it's, it's nice to have a vendor account because even though with the advent of brand uh, registry, it was supposed mm -hmm. to make it so that brands could update their content. A lot of people on this podcast are probably like, I never have a problem updating my content. Well, when you get multiple resellers on the platform, even with brand registry, you're going to run into so many issues trying to update your content because they still have like this hierarchy that they say it's in their back end. Like, oh, if you have brand registry, your content will override other contributions. Well, that hasn't proved to be the case with us. Now, granted, when I first started here, the, the manufacturer's products were being sold on Amazon. They didn't have a direct presence on Amazon, but let's say there were people that, you know, had their products listed and they took like pictures in their bathroom of the products. It looks terrible, right? <laughs> uh -huh. so we spent a lot of time optimizing those listings, but our content wasn't flowing through even with brand registry. And so that's when I actually was working with Amazon probably about six months to try to overwrite that. And what we found out is the reason those our brand registered contributions were not uploading or updating to the detail pages was because someone had uploaded that content to a vendor account. And vendor accounts actually have the highest priority. They call it retail contributions. And, you know, it was such a pain because these, these people who had vendor accounts had set up and listed our brands in that vendor account. So they're god-awful <laughs> contributions were showing and we couldn't overwrite it after i don't know three four months of like i, I have over probably 500 cases um they were able to say that brand registry would overwrite vendor 
and it worked. It worked for probably three or four months, and then it's it stopped hmm. working. So I don't know if anyone else listening to this podcast has had the same issue where your contributions aren't flowing through. If you go into a vendor account and upload your contributions, that is what will be displayed on the detail. Yeah, I remember back in the day, having a vendor account was sometimes like God mode. For, it really is. Um, yeah. <laughs> it really is. And there's things that you can do. Like, I don't know if you've noticed recently in the supplement space, like people calling out, like uh, maybe on protein powder, like, you know, how many grams of protein there is or sugars or whatnot. And they're, they're kind of uh, uploading it onto the content. Like just go type in something like, you know, protein powder or hydrolyzed whey protein isolate. And you'll see what I'm talking about. And you can't, if you try it in the 3P account, it, it'll get suppressed, but it can go through in the vendor. It's just interesting how I feel like vendor is like God mode in that yeah. for content uploads and contributions. Yeah. Okay. So th- this is, uh, this is good. This is good to know now, regardless of, of, you know, what kind of account it is, you know, there are some things that pretty much are universal, you know, like, uh-huh. Hey, great listing optimization, make sure you're getting the best keywords. So let's just talk about how you've been able to to scale this business to to be making you know uh, to have made you know a couple hundred million dollars over the last few years what are some of the the strategies that that you're using that you've just you know found continued success with okay yeah great well the basics that's why you know what i have to give shout out to you guys your freedom freedom 3.0 course is fantastic it's updated so if you guys haven't checked that out you really ought to hey guys i hope everybody just listens to this you know sometimes people think oh yeah freedom ticket this is just for the beginners to learn how to we got a nine-figure seller in the house who's yeah, saying yeah. That, that that she was finding benefit from the freedom ticket Absolutely. so i hope you guys uh listen yeah my whole team it's like go, go rewatch this has been completely updated it's fantastic i mean you guys really Thank you. didn't hold much back. In fact, I think I, I was kind of like, guys, quit telling everyone this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but no, really, really well done. And Kevin always does a great job. Tim and you, Bradley, it was great. I even got to see Karen on there. So it was really cool. But, you know, the basics of the keyword research, it all starts with that and then the optimized listing. And I, I feel like what sellers forget because we're on our desktops all day working is we forget that 70% of the shoppers are on mobile. On their app and so you know really you've got to nail those images I go on your phone just grab it I, I don't actually shop a lot on my phone because I literally am at my desktop all day working right so we sometimes don't have the same um, native experience that our customers are having and we're designing and optimizing for the wrong crowd so I always encourage my team and everyone I'm working with grab your phone and now look at your listing and that image storyboard becomes, you know, quintessential, the most important thing that you can focus on. It's, it's the basic foundational. How can you convey in your images everything that your product offers, the problem solution, the features and the benefits and why they should buy? And if you can't do that, you, you, you can lose that. You can lose the sale right there. So that's a huge focus that I think some of us may just be missing just because, again, we're, we're working on desktops. Um, enhanced brand content. It's funny. I don't know if people out there have tried the, managing their experiments where you A-B split test your uh, A-plus content or ABCA, whatever they're calling it these days. That's been fun to do because what I'm realizing is like – it. I mean, we do really good enhanced brand content. So I guess it's just comparing really good to really good. But I'm seeing there's not a big difference at all in what, you know, somebody's converting on my A-plus content or not. But those hero images do matter. And I've never used PicFu 
but I really uh, mm-hmm. saw a presentation that was it Anthony is his name? Yep, yep. But he, did, he was just on the podcast, yeah, as a matter of fact. Yep. He did such a great job with his presentation, um, and his slide deck was available after. I'm like, I gotta start using that because who knows what I'm leaving on the table because I don't optimize yeah. my keyword image. You think a supplement's a supplement, you know, a picture of a bottle, uh, what could I do better? But I know we're gonna we're gonna really take a foray into that. But I think you're asking me pricing. We've played around with couponing and promotions. And um, advertising, I tell you what, though, the basics of keyword research, listing optimization has been huge for our company. Um, Where I'm focusing now is uh, advertising with the DSP more like uh, I don't know if everybody here has the budget to do this, but I I know that Amazon probably has the most powerful data. I don't say probably they have the most powerful data right now of any advertising platform. They know exactly who's shopping for what at any given time, what they've purchased in the past, what they're in market for, what they spend on the platform. And they're giving me the ability to target those customers. That's phenomenal. I yeah, mean, yeah. I freaking love Facebook advertising and, and you know, it's, it's been a little more difficult after the updates, but that targeting and like YouTube video ad targeting, they made me a lot of money over the years. And what I haven't done yet is spend a whole lot of that money on Amazon's um, owned placements, you know, outside of I've done DSP, but not the OTT and the video. Um, what, what do they call that now where they can target people with your video ads? So I'm excited. We're, we're leveraging, you know, some budget there and I think we're going to get really great results. Awesome. Awesome. Now let's just talk about, you know, just a few strategies. You don't have to give it all away. I know you're going to be speaking uh, soon at the uh, elite workshop with some advanced stuff that you're not, you know, you don't give out too much publicly, but just some general things as far as some of the basics, like, you know, when you have 3000 SKUs, obviously you are uh, actively launching new products. What's your launch strategy like, you know, are you, uh, are you doing it just with PPC? Are you doing it because you guys have a big brand and you have a bunch of brand awareness? So you leverage your existing audience or what's your, basic launch strategy uh, for new ones you know this is something i may maybe we don't want to talk on the podcast or not but i I actually would like to talk to the sellers but after this week's announcement announcement about search find buy and you know rebates i i wondered is that really like endangering accounts because i've never thought of it that way um for me uh my personal opinion and this is not the you know yeah Oh, what's my disclaimer? Hey, this does not reflect the helium 10. Uh, <laughs> this is just my personal opinion. Cause I'm an Amazon seller myself. Yeah. Nothing has changed in my opinion, yeah. but like, like what happened has nothing to do necessarily with search find buy, because what, what, when you look at the, uh, the terms of service, they haven't changed as far as what Amazon doesn't like, which is number one, the absolute number one thing is incentivized reviews. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing is uh sales rank manipulation, which a lot of people, when they hear the word rank, you know, we as Amazon sellers, we have made rank mean keyword rank, right? Yeah. But Amazon has never referred to rank as far as keyword. Never once have they ever said that in any documentation. It's always the BSR. And so if you're, you know, you're old school, you remember how back in 2016, 2017, what sellers would do when Amazon had the ability to do 100% off coupon coupon codes, Yeah. they would just blast out these 100% coupon codes so that it was a $0 value um, transaction. They didn't have to pay a commission to Amazon yep. just to be able to get to like bestseller, you know, to get that bestseller badge or top uh, 10 bestseller rank in a category. And then that's when Amazon changed the rules and said, first of all, no, there is no more 100% off coupon codes, you know, and number two, they put black and white, you know, do not try to, you know, uh, manipulate sales rank, you know, because we're refer- referring to that. And, and that's still there. Now I've always said that, Hey, one day Amazon could say rebates are are bad and 
easily, just like one day you could do incentivized reviews and the next day you couldn't do incentivized reviews. You know I mean? Amazon yeah. could change, but so far it hasn't changed. So like my personal opinion, like I, I hate speculating, Yeah. you know, even rebate key themselves, they didn't know what exactly was at the time, you know, like, who knows, maybe by, by the time people are listening to this episode, there, there's, there's more data out there, but you know, I talked to the owner and he, and he had no idea what, why he got blocked. So it, it's kind of ridiculous for you, like for me to go and try and say, Oh, this is why they got blocked. Yeah. But you know, to me, it's, it's gotta be about, you know, reviews in my opinion, because I've always told people like, Hey, if you're using search, find buy or rebates or something like that, that that's on you. But personally, I would absolutely 100, make sure 100% make sure, try to make sure that these people could not leave me reviews because if somebody got a rebate and they left a review and for whatever reason, Amazon knows about it from, if I was Amazon, that looks to me like an incentivized reviews. Like I gave them a rebate to get a review. So like to me, that's what it could be about, but, 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 but who knows? Yeah. And I, I appreciate you sharing that interview because yeah, I, I saw some people in the industry that, you know, I respect saying kind of doomsdaying it. And I was like, gee, I just don't see it that way. And, and yet as someone who it manages so much business and I still have my own personal brands, I don't, I, I would, I plan to fully continue on my own brand search by buy because I, I sure. believe with you. it's like that. How else, when you launch a product, are you to get Amazon to recognize your product and let everybody know about your product? Like, I don't, yep. I'm not trying to game the system. It's just like paying no, for no. a retail slotting fee and do that in retail all the time. I buy shelves yeah. by level. Like there's no difference. Right. Yeah. And, and so like, or you go to whole, I've been using rebates since I was seven years old buying cereal. I never would have bought anyways, just so I can get my star Trek, uh, shirt as a rebate or you know right right and they do that at costco and sam's and whole foods every you walk in you get a free sample or i mean you know you can try it before you buy it and i'm like i i just think that's just ne- that's called trial in in this space so you gotta let people try to buy so mm-hmm. anyhow i i yeah i'm glad to hear you say that because that is part of our launch strategy is we do um we have a nice list that we've built up over the years and i hated that they maligned many chat i think many chat messenger flows were fantastic to drive like a facebook ad advertising your product that's new talking about some of the benefits and asking people if they'd like to try it we never ask for reviews but yeah we've got to get the product out in people's hands we've got to get some feedback and why not ask them to go buy it on amazon i feel like amazon is very grateful for those efforts i'm sending traffic to their platform and i'm like if it's a good product and i'm sending traffic it's going to stick a rank you and i both know if i do a search find buy and i get it on the first page of, of amazon it's not going to stick if it's a shitty product i'm sorry like it's not. Yeah. So yeah. like if I'm Jeff Bezos or now Andy and I'm sent you, I have sellers doing this on my platform. Like that's what we call a product launch companies for years before Amazon, I was launching products in retail or like, you know, with progenics, we launched just native to wads and boxes, sorry, not wads boxes are like gyms and CrossFit. Um, mm. you, you go and you sample it all. So it's when you plan launches, you have to have this big, I guess, you know, blitzkrieg to market. And that's what we do on Amazon with the launch. So yeah, I, I definitely think the, you know, many chat messenger funnels have been great to get people to go buy the product. We do have used rebates and it's not, we never ask for a review. In fact, I don't even think Amazon lets them review. I, I've noticed like, I, I want to say like, this is my personal so I don't know if it's true. I feel like they throttle reviews when you first launch a product because you, we see nothing coming in. And then like all of a sudden, 30, 45 days in, boom, all these reviews start showing up. And yeah. and I know like people say, well, that's the nature of supplements. People will probably wait 30 days to leave a review. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I do think that may be part of it. But I'm also like, I do think a new product when you're sending activity to the platform, Amazon is 
probably suspicious of what's going on. Sure. And they're throttling reviews and then they realize, oh, this traffic isn't stopping. And I think that's the genius in the CPR method that you guys have in Healing yeah. Tim is that it, it can't just be one or two days of sending traffic. It's, it's not going to do anything yeah. for you. But that consistent, sustained um, approach. And if, you're, if your product's not good, you can't, trust me, you're going to have to have really deep pockets to sustain that for 30, 45 days. Sure. So yeah. Amazon's built into their algorithm a way to prevent the abuse that you know, these manipulative sellers are trying to do, like you would have to have very, very, very deep pockets to keep doing that. And if you have very, very deep pockets and, and a really great product, then I think you should be able to do that because guess what? Yeah. That's how yeah. you get your product. Off. Amazon probably loves that. Hey, you keep giving us that 15%. Don't threaten me with a good time. Yeah. And, and you know what? I want to find that product one day. And if, if, if that company doesn't do that, it will be beholden to page 20 of the Amazon search results. Sure, sure. There's so much historic, historical, I guess, built into that Amazon algorithm. Anyone knows this? Try go try to unseat someone's bestseller badge that's been on the platform for the last, you know, ten years or whatever. Very, yeah. very, very difficult. And so, without these launch efforts and some money behind it, you would have no chance. I don't think that's what Amazon wants either. They want the best products at the best price for their customers. Yep. Yeah. Now, now you talked about you know reviews there. So, what about you guys? Like, what are you doing? in order to, to do reviews? Like, are you using follow-up to do the request review? Are you putting product inserts or what are you doing? Well, the number one thing is your, the tool that automates it, the request review. Now that's one of when you asked me about the pros and cons of 1P versus 3P, 3P is nice because you have that re request to review feature. Now, 1P will tell you, oh, we send those emails out on your behalf. Like, I don't know, I've never seen them, right? But supposedly mm -hmm. you may see them if you buy a product that was in the 1P where Amazon emails you and asks for a review. But that's one thing that everyone needs to do. They need to have some type of, you take advantage of that request to review feature. I don't do any more of the automated emails where you like type up your ones. I yeah, yeah. Stop that. Yeah, unless, unless you, you you really are good at that or like yeah. no, you know, like Amazon is so so picky. I I still ha I still do have a few of those yeah. because I, I think I've I've I know what Amazon likes and 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 doesn't like, so I haven't gotten suspended or anything. Yeah. But uh, if anybody out there has doubts about like, hey. Um, you know, should I do this? Like, for example, let me just give you guys an example of how picky they are. Uh, I've seen things where people got the 30 day ban. The, the email said, uh, Hey, I hope you guys, uh, enjoyed your product. Um, you know, we're a small time business. Uh, I would love to get your honest feedback about this product. Um, if you'd like to do that, please click here. Now, somebody might think, wait a minute, like honest feedback, you know, yeah. but just because at the beginning of the email, they said, we hope you enjoy your product. Totally. Like that to Amazon is like you're trying to they, say only leave a review they, if, you, yeah. if you like. So it's, they're so picky, you know, yeah, they call it like grooming. You groom them for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see that. No, I think, um, there's so many, I, I really like whenever I see someone presenting on like review generation, um, strategies. Cause I feel like that's something where we all can improve. It's, it's such the most important part. Sometimes after listing optimization of the game, mm -hmm. it, it's a review game, right? Cause you always say like, the, the median is always going to trend towards like three and a half stars if you don't have some proactive in place because your happy customers most likely won't leave a review. It's the really pissed off ones that are for sure going to leave a negative review. So, you know, every product, if they're not doing something to proactively generate like good reviews, you'd probably all end up at like three and a half or worse stars. 
So uh, I think really the packaging, making it a cool experience, like you can't have crappy packaging. I remember back in the day when people just threw everything in their poly bag with their FNSQ, like right there, that's just a bad impression. And I think those little efforts go a long way. If you at least made them smile with some type of packaging or a messaging that's just like makes them happy, they're going to be less likely to get all mad, even if something was broke. They would be more likely to reach out to you. So uh, yeah, a proactive insert that just says, hey, hope you liked your um, supplement or whatever in, you know, let's say with our toys, you know, it was like instructions on how to use it, how it would help. Um, we, we, we did their toy line. It was like kick fire classics, classic toys. And we, we positioned it to grandmas because we figured like who buys grandmas and moms for their kids. They want to get them off, you know, electronic devices. So we did old fashioned fun, you know, classic toys. Mm -hmm. And it would have an insert, like here's some videos on how to use your toy to go, go use it. And they, they love that. We gave them a free library of like someone teaching them how to do the hacky sack and the helicopter. And mm -hmm. we had um, toys that are, are not really easy to use like juggling. So then they got tutorials from Phil's juggling skills on how to juggle. And then people just love that. They would like, I don't think anyone ever left us a negative review. Even if like what heaven forbid, like their juggling sack from Pakistan leaked some beans or rice or whatever was in the middle, yeah. they would, email us first because we had sent so much goodwill and like extra goodness in that package like hey you know here's this to help you learn how to juggle in less than five minutes that they were already felt like we were just delivering such kick-ass service that they wouldn't want to go like give us a negative review they liked us you know from opening the package so that's one thing i always tell sellers like what can you do to make them like like you from the minute they get your package they open up and they're like, sure. this company's cool you know, and then they give you the benefit of the doubt. Like if there was something broken, because Amazon can break things and maybe not ship it in the most kind way, um, they're going to reach out to you first and just let you know instead of like smearing you all over on the on the Amazon's review detail page. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you know, we do this, something on the show, you know, we call the, the TST 30 second tip. So, you know, you've been talking about different general strategies, but let's do like maybe two or three of these where, you know, and you can take your time to think about it if you need to, like, uh, where you can say something within like 30 to 40 seconds or something that's a actionable strategy, you know, it could be, I don't know, YouTube marketing, Instagram marketing, it could be PPC strategy, keyword research strategy, whatever branding strategy about anything you want. Okay. Yeah. Let's do um, a branding strategy. That's kind of where I get most excited because I feel like most people are just selling generic goods to generic people and like the beauty of the internet is it's given us this intimate connection like you can find a subreddit group that anything that tickles your fancy right and so when you write your copy as I, I always say like you know Procter & Gamble they made generic goods for generic people and now we have these brands like you know Dollar Shave Club or like the beard oils that they really speak to a segment they 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 narrow in like laser beam focus they know exactly who their target audience is and they can connect with them with copy because they can enter the conversation that client's having in their head because they know their client like down to a T um, in the supplement space you know if we just make a, a nootropic for for everyone we've made a nootropic for no one because now there's people that are making nootropics and if you don't know a nootropic it's thinking something that like helps with your mind right if you make a nootropic for gamers now you can speak a language to them like there's probably a reason a gamer takes like a nootropic and you would speak about maybe it's like when they're you know in the last mile of their first person shooter game like I, I obviously don't play video games so I'm probably butchering this but you could use words that really connect with them versus like hey this will enhance your mind and get cognitive ability and help you focus it's like you would be talking about how they could be like the sniper all-star because they could shoot all their you know that's what i'm talking about we did this really well um in crossfit we we picked that niche with our supplements and it was post-workout recovery and again it changed the whole nature of the language that we used it was like you talked about not a workout you talked about a wad 
That's what they talk about in CrossFit. They don't go to a gym. They go to a box and they don't do workouts. Mm-hmm. They do Fran and Grace and they have, they have a whole language. If you haven't read that book, it's like tribe, tribal marketing or something like that. It, 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 you, you have a language, you know, you, you have a group of people and people like us do things like this. That's what Seth Godin would always talk about. It's like, you have to kind of carve out that, that community. And then you're really going to build a brand of loyal raving fans because people want to connect. They don't want to be a generic, no one, they have actual likes and tastes and they want to belong. And so when you can position your product as a product that speaks to the needs of a certain segment of people, then you're going to win on Amazon. You're going to win, not even just on Amazon, you're going to win as a brand because that's what a brand is. It stands for something. It has a mission and a vision and a purpose that connects with people. I love it. I love it. Any other strategies uh, you can, you can give uh, about maybe something else? No, I think hiring good people for me, I mean, that's something because I have obviously a larger business to manage, but the more that you can hire people that you can trust and you can let them run with your vision, if you have to micromanage everything, you're just going to limit your growth. Oh, and one thing I always say, though, too, is we always talk about scaling everything. And I, my mentor, Seth Godin, he said this, and it just sticks with me so much. He's like, not everything should scale. Like there's things that the reason why you're going to really be good at what you do is because it can't scale. And if you think about exceptional customer service, like the kind that Zappos does and was famous for, that doesn't scale. It's empowering really good people to do the best for your company. And, you know, you know, there's going to be a limit to what Zappos can do customer service wise that won't scale, but they'll become a, a powerful million, million dollar brand, whatever, just because of that thing that they specialize in so well. So I think sometimes we need to, obviously we can create systems, but not everything can scale if you want to do it really good. But doing something the best is what actually makes you a brand and differentiate you in the marketplace that you can command, you know, people's dollars for. So I like it. All right. Well, uh, Janelle, thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to getting to meet you in person at the, uh, at the workshop that's coming up. If, if people want to, you know, follow you out there or, or maybe ask you more questions, are you open to that? You want to yeah, sure. drop how they can reach you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty easy to find because I have a website, JanellePage.com. I think I'm on uh, Instagram and social media, JanellePage11. 11 was my basketball number. So that's how come everyone's like, why 11? I'm like, oh, that's my Janelle Page. Where did you play basketball at? Oh, Davis High. And then I, I was going to play in uh, college, but I didn't. All right. Well, Janelle, uh, when you come down here, maybe I'll take you to, you know, I have a full basketball court at my house that has a huge Helium 10 logo that we call the Helium 10 basketball court. We'll, we'll have to shoot some hoops okay, down I'd here. I'd love to. We're going to play pig. Pig? What's that? Horse, but just with three yeah, letters? Yeah, it's just, it makes it shorter, but I'll play horse. Ah, okay. Okay. I got it. Cool. We're on the same page here. Super fun. We'll play like a Helium 10 lightning round. There we go. I love it. All right, Janelle. Thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. Yeah, ciao.